Glory to Jesus Christ. My name is Anton Cook, and I am your host for the Christ Our Hope Show. It's great to have you here today. We are going to uh, continue our, our reflections uh, for the for the Sunday readings. Um, this Sunday is the Sunday of All Saints. The Sunday of All Saints. Uh, it's a it's a great it's a great Sunday, and uh, we're, we got a lot lot to cover here. So, uh, before we do that, let, I just wanted to. Uh, uh, first off, thank you for listening to the show. If you have not liked and subscribed to the show, please do so. Uh, we 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 love to have uh, more people to listen to our show, to hear our preaching, so that we can bring everyone to the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. The true knowledge of Jesus Christ. Um, if uh, you are enjoying these podcasts, please share them with others, uh, so that our ministry can continue. And uh, and 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 grow um, as we try to open it up uh, for the whole entire world. So, with that being said, um, let's let's get on to the preaching. Let's go ahead and start start contemplating on these scriptures here today because I think that they are very important, and I think that they are this specific Sunday is is one that pre precedes right precedes. Uh, the actual uh, feast, uh, or rather the, the fasting period for the fast of Saints Peter and Paul. And I find that to be very uh, peculiar that the church does that. And I think that it's it's not peculiar, and I don't think it's a coincidence either, to be honest with you. I think that the church is, is literal in the way that they do these things, and that this is, this is very intentional. This is very intentional. You see, because in the scripture verses today, in the scripture verses today, the church is revealing to us these these scripture verses that show to us what and who the saints were. The saints were preceded inside of the beginning of time um, of who they would be. Uh, We read from a few Old Testament readings starting today. Um, At Vespers, we read from Isaiah 43, the Book of Wisdom, right? Inside of the liturgy. Right, we read from Hebrews and the and the Gospel of Matthew, right? And what the all these scripture verses are trying to bring to us, and we'll we'll kind of I will speak of some of these, and actually bring out some some examples of of the way that uh, it's talking about. So it's talking about really in in many essences two different types of saints, two different types of saints. The first of which is the saints of the present, and then the second is the saints of the future, right? In the present tense, in the present tense, um, we can read in Isaiah 43, it says, says uh, uh, verse 10, You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I even I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I have declared and saved, I have proclaimed, and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses. You are my witnesses. So what is a saint, right? Because that is really what the big question is. What is what is a saint? A saint is a witness of Christ, is a witness of God, right? He is a witness of 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 Christ, he's a witness of God. And so we ourselves right now are saints, right? We're working to become perfect in God's righteousness, perfect in God's righteousness. And and that's so important because that is that is the end part. That's the second type of saint, right? This that that saint who has gone on who has gone on to the end. 
and has has ran the race and has finished the path, right? That which was he would that which he was called to. So in in this, uh, so so let me back up just a few places. So inside of this, we can say that um, that this feast is in essence to celebrate the saints of God. So it is a celebration for us ourselves as we are striving here on this earth to become big as saints, right in heaven, and also a celebration of of those who have gone before, those saints who have passed on. The saints are our greatest victorious defenders of the first uh, of of the first faith and of the faith transmitted throughout the ages. Um, several examples that we have within the church: uh, one, Saint Athanasius, uh, he was in the third century, third and fourth century, defended the divinity of Christ. Saint Nicholas of Myra. Nicaea uh, defended the two natures, human and divine, and the one personhood of Christ at Nicaea in 325 A.D. Saint Irenaeus uh, in the 100s taught the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. Saint Justin Martyr, again, um, 100s, and, and, and actually a little bit before that, uh, wrote his Apology in about 136, defended Christianity from the Diocletian per, uh, persecution through his Apologia, right? All of these are examples of the faith that was transmitted and defended and in which some of which gave their lives, including all of the disciples, all of the first apostles and the disciples of the apostles, right? They gave their lives. St. Polycarp, the great scribe of St. John the Evangelist, right? He uh, was crucified. Um, well, excuse me, not crucified. He was, he was killed. I believe he was actually beheaded. So, so my apologies um, on on that on that mis, mistruth, but he suffered death for the faith, right? And so this day we celebrate him. We celebrate his life. We celebrate the saints that have our name day saints and and our and our and our our birthday saints, right? Um, the day that we were this day that we were were baptized into Christ. So I have a couple of them. So it's so my birthday. Or rather, my name day, right? So the day the, the day that I was actually um, born, right, um, is uh, Moses the seer, the God seer. So Saint Moses, in the East, we call we call the original the first prophet saints actually as well. So uh, Moses, as many know, Moses, the, the one who led the Israelites out of the desert, uh, his feast day is on September fourth, and my feast day, right, the day that I was actually, uh, the day that I was actually born uh, into the church and into Christ through baptism was April 24th. So my feast day, the day, feast day that I was actually born on um, in, in the kingdom of God um, is St. Savas of Kiev, uh, which is a pretty, pretty cool thing, pretty cool thing. And then... Um, and then my my confirmation saint that I took was Saint John Vianney. But I'm also a Dominican, and um, so I took the name of Saint Anthony. Um, and so you know I have I have that saint. Um, not to mention my own personal saints that I pray to, like Saint Seraphim of Sarov. Um, you know, so many different types of saints. Today is that day that we honor them, that we thank them for their continued patronage, that they continually look over, look over us, and and watch over us 
and intercede for us on our behalf. They remind us, right, these saints, of the call to holiness by their example, by their example. I would like to give an example of some something that we can kind of look at for this. You know, in, as Americans, we place a huge emphasis on our soldiers and the men and women who've served in in uniform. Um, we have uh, Armistice Day, Armed Forces Day, Flag Day, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, um, and just, just to name a few, here in the United States where we thank our soldiers for serving, and, and for many, especially Memorial Day, for those who have given the ultimate sacrifice. Today is like a Memorial Day for the church. Like soldiers who made the ultimate sacrifice for their country, inspiring others to do the same, right? It's, it's crazy. When people hear of the heroic tales of soldiers, especially those who won the Medal of Honor or you know, Bronze Star, Silver Star, whatever, they're filled with inspiration. They're filled with wanting to go out and do something. They're filled with wanting to go out, right, and, 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 and serve their country. The saints today that we celebrate, these martyrs who died for the faith, who were the precious seed and the water that allowed the faith to grow, call us to holiness, to live the faith, and to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. That is their purpose. That is what their goal is, right? And that's reason. that is the reason why on to this day, the Feast of All Saints, we celebrate these martyrs to be reminded that we also are called to be holy. It's universal. It stems from our baptismal call. It's also a reminder that we will be judged at our death. Christ our Pascha Catechism, which is the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Catechism, it states in 250 251. I do want to read those just very shortly. Uh, we're not going to go in, in, in any any like, massive depth. I think that they actually speak for themselves in all actuality, so I don't really need to say much. But um, It says, If a person has fallen asleep in God, having repented of all sins, but has not yet achieved spiritual maturity, the fullness of life in Christ, then that person enters the kingdom of God as through fire. After death, such a person is still in need of spiritual healing and cleansing of all stain in order to dwell in a place of light where there is no pain, sorrow, or mourning. In the church, this healing condition of the dead is referred to as final purification. Gregory the Theologian, in his Oration 7, which would have been in the uh, 4th century, states, Every fair and God-beloved soul, once it has been set free from the bonds of the body, departs hence and immediately enjoys a sense and perception of the blessings which await it, inasmuch as that which darkened it has been purged away or laid aside. I know not how else to term it. It then feels a wondrous pleasure and exaltation and goes rejoicing to meet its Lord. For this reason, the church prays for the departed. And uh, we can read in St. John Chrysostom, again, um, uh, 4th and 5th centuries, uh, actually the end of the 300s and the beginning of the 400s. In his homilies on 1 Corinthians 41.8, he states this, 
Let us then give them aid and perform commemorations for them. For the children of children of Job were purged by the sacrifice of their father. Why do you doubt that when we too offer for the departed, some consolation arises to them? Since God is wont to grant the petition of those who ask for others. Paragraph 21. Being unrepentant until death results in the tragic reality of hell. The fire of hell signifies an unrepentant person's inability to accept God's love. Here's a quote from Maximus the Confessor, um, which would have been in the 6th century, uh, in the 500s. The word of God is light, which illumines the minds of the faithful. But at the same time, it is also the fire of judgment, which consumes those who abide in the night darkness of this life. Hell is not so much the punishment of God, as it is the condition voluntarily chosen by the person. It is in this state in which origin, uh, which was in the 300s, um, actually, excuse me, 200s in, in the early 300s, states, The soul shall be found to be outside the order and connection and harmony in which it was created by God, not harmonizing with itself in the purposeful, purposefulness of its rational movements. It will experience the chastisement and torture that arises from warring with itself and feeling punished by its own disordered condition. So there you go. There's just a few uh, a few things that the that the church fathers have to say about um, about this really this feast and, and and final judgment, final judgment. Christ also says, excuse me. So it, it, let me go back for a minute. So basically, we are all called to respond to the call of holiness. All of us, each and every single one of us, are called to respond to the call of holiness. I would like to take the next little bit to talk about how we do these things. How do we do these things? How do we answer and respond to the call to holiness? How is it that we are to answer that call, right? Like in any situation, when a call is placed upon a person, right? When when you are asked to respond, when your question is given, you have to respond. And the question is... Now that we know that God is calling us to live a full life in Christ, right? And if you've not received that, have not done that, there's the chance of final purification. But let's not hope on final purification. Let us hope in the promises of Christ and just live to the fullness of Christ, right? It makes no sense that we should try to hope for something that is lesser than what is the full thing. We are called, brothers and sisters, to the fullness of life in Christ. We are expected, it is the standard, right, that we should live the fullness of the life of Christ. This is important. This is not just important, it's mandatory. And so, and so, what are we, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this, right? I know people always get caught up on purgatory. Listen, purgatory, final purification, whatever you want to call it, okay? Walk away from it. It doesn't matter, okay? Why don't you just focus on living the life of Christ today and living the fullness of that life now instead of trying to sit around and think about 
Oh, well, if I don't make it, how about you do make it? I heard a great saying this weekend. It said, can't never could and won't ever will. Okay? So, let's not have that mentality. Let's say, I will reach heaven. Because I'm going to respond to the universal call of holiness. Because I'm going to glorify God with my life. Because I'm going to follow the precepts of the church and answer that call that has been placed upon me as a faithful Christian of the Catholic Church. But how? In Matthew chapter 10, verse 32... Jesus says, All who confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Okay. 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 So then, there's many, there's many Protestant churches out there these days that say, Okay, well, that means you have to confess with your tongue. Okay. So all of, all of the, the mute cannot be saved. They can't confess with their tongue. It's not possible because they're mute. Okay? They're mute. How do we confess? Confession is not with the tongue of the body. It is done with the tongue of the heart. Put a humble and contrite spirit in me, O God. Psalm 50. Our confession is with the heart. It is through deed and action. That is how we confess Jesus Christ. Jesus says, A light is not hidden under a bushel basket, but rather it shines out from the top of the hill, illuminating all. Very important. Very important. We are called to illuminate others, which means we ourselves must be light. Inside of the Eastern tradition, and I've talked about this before, so I'm not going to go into any great depth. Um, I, w- I will try to do one much later, but let's just focus on, on this today. We are called to live and to sit In the energies of the Holy Spirit. And to let the energies of God flow from us. That all might be illumined by the light of Christ. So how do we confess Christ? It's very simple, brothers and sisters. By following the apostolic teaching. By following the apostolic teaching. And the faith received through the ages. There's a reason why in this these podcasts I focus so much on the early church fathers, the patristics, because, brothers and sisters, it is imperative that we cling to our fathers as if they are all we have. Because those fathers have taught us the true faith, and from them we have received the heavenly spirit, we have found the true faith. And we worship the undivided trinity in unity.
That's from the liturgy, the divine liturgy that we receive from our Father among the saints, St. John Chrysostom. Christ gave judgment of the twelve tribes of Israel to the apostles. We read that inside of the scripture verses today in Matthew chapter 19, verses 28. And let me, I'm going to read it. So hear me as I read. It says, quote, So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, that is the, the after the ascension, right? When the Son, or excuse me, after the resurrection, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, which is after the ascension, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. End quote. We have to learn to follow Christ. And the apostolic teaching teaches us something very important. From St. Simeon, the New Theologian, in his The Discourses, chapter 20, The Ideal Spiritual Guide, he states this, In times past, when heresies prevailed, many chose death through martyrdom and various tortures. Now when we, through the grace of Christ, live in a time of profound and perfect peace, we learn for sure that cross and death consist in nothing else than the complete mortification of self-will. He who pursues his own will, however slightly, will never be able to observe the precepts of Christ, the Savior. So important. So important. We have to mortify our self-will, especially our own personal beliefs and what we think that we know. Individualization is a problem that is unique to the, to the West. It is a problem because of our growing secularization and it is a problem that is going to continue to grow and to be a problem. We have to learn that as Christians... We are called to the church, our ecclesial identity. I talked about that last week, and I'm bringing that back in now. We are called to an ecclesial identity. We are called to our identity in the church. And as such, we have to understand that Jesus set the disciples over the church. In fact, in today's scripture verse, we see that he not only set them over the church, but said that you will judge the church. In Acts 2.42, it makes the point to show, and I will quote, and I want to read that. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open, open up to Acts 2.42. Let's open up to Acts 2.42. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up. And let's read from Acts 2.42, brothers and sisters, because I, I want us to pay attention to this because it's very important. Acts 2.42. Let's, let's start at 41. It said, So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Okay, and this is the part I want us to pay attention to. And they held steadfastly to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayers. Okay, the Holy Spirit 
the Holy Spirit, having having seen the problems of the future and having known what will come, was very intentional in the way that he placed this wording inside of this scripture. Notice he didn't say the prayers, the breaking of the bread, the fellowship, and then the apostles' teaching. He didn't say the breaking of the bread, the prayers, the fellowship, and then the apostles' teaching. He says the apostles' teaching, one. Fellowship, two. Breaking of the bread, three. And the prayers, four. Why is that? Why does he do those things? Why? These things point to the reality of true life and worship in Christ. They are a submission of the will in which St. Simeon, as we just read, entails. The Holy Spirit, knowing the challenges of the church in the future, makes, makes first this important note. The apostolic teaching is the first pillar of the church. Without the apostolic teaching, you can have the other three, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't fall. It's a house that falls. It, do, it, do, it doesn't stand. You have to first have the apostolic teaching. Then you have that fellowship amongst the apostles that the people join into. The fellowship of the bishops. And then you have the breaking of the bread. Well, you can't have the breaking of the bread without the fellowship of the bishops. You can't have the breaking of the bread without the bishop. And then from the breaking of the bread, you have the prayers. And we see that inside of our church, right? Because from the magisterium, Greek word for the, the, the teaching body, right? From the magisterium is the fellowship of bishops. All the bishops in the entirety of the world who teach, right? In the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, we have a synod of bishops, right? We have a, a, a curia of bishops. And those bishops come together to formulate um, teaching in accordance with the tradition of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, right? From that fellowship, right, there's, there's the breaking of the bread. And as Catholics in, in, in so many churches, 24 churches, right, we can break bread because of the fellowship of Patriarch Sviatoslav Chevchuk with Pope Francis, with, uh, I think, Pope Gregorius III is, or excuse me, um, Patriarch Gregorius III is still the leader of the Melkite Church. Those conglomerations of, of, of churches, right, all 24 of these churches, right, are in fellowship with one another. And so I can go to a Roman church and receive communion. I can go to a Melkite church and receive communion. I can go to a Coptic church and receive communion because we have the fellowship. We have the apostolic teaching. And thus we have the breaking of the bread. One body, one cup, one Lord. And then we have the prayers. The prayers flow from that, right? And the liturgy itself across the whole entirety of Catholicism has a general means of being done. There's, there's a general requirement of the way that those that worship is supposed to take place. And this is so important because when we're looking at 
really trying to delve into um, this call to holiness, this call to righteous living, right? Those four things become the pinnacle of how our confession in Christ takes place. And throughout our daily cross, our daily walk with God, we participate in those prayers, right? So back in the old days, they used to have the temple prayers that they would attend to all the time. And we still have those in the church. They're really only done by uh, select laity, uh, consecrated laity, really, um, and the deacons, the priests, uh, the clergy, um, and the monastics, which is called the divine office. That office is done, we pray roughly seven times a day. Actually, it's more like five times a day. The, 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 night, the night nocturne is actually optional. Um, so we pray throughout the day, right? We, we take time to stop and to reflect upon the scriptures and reflect upon Christ, reflect upon his love, reflect upon who and what he's done for us. But we also have other prayers, right, that we've that the Holy Spirit has revealed to us throughout the period of the church. We have the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. A beautiful prayer in which we can reflect upon the name of Jesus, but yet also uh, explain and confess our own weakness to sin and seek his divine mercy and help to overcome it. In the Roman church, there's the rosary, right? And in the East, we have... Uh, the devotion of the prayer rule of the Theotokos, right? Uh, really revealed to us by Saint Seraphim of Sarov, um, of 150 uh, rejoiceful Theotokoses. So we have these things. These prayers. And they provide us preparation. Preparation for the breaking of the bread. And we, we go to the Eucharistic celebration, we have fellowship, right? And typically when we're doing our fellowship after liturgy, we have catechesis, your apostolic teaching. And then as we leave the church, having received that apostolic teaching, right, we carry within us the fellowship of God, the Trinity, who like a fire is burning within us. And that fellowship stems from the breaking of the bread and instills inside of us the desire for deeper prayer. Brothers and sisters, it's circulary. We are called to deeper living. We are not just called to go to church on Sundays. We're not just called to go to church on Wednesdays. We're called to sit and reflect and to live the Gospels every single day of the week. We are called to do the Jesus prayer. We are called to do the divine office. We're called to participate inside the fellowship of the church and of the prayers, the breaking of the bread. We're called to all of this. This is our universal call. And today, this day, the saints are calling us to remind us that this is our call. We cannot be lazy anymore. Brothers and sisters, if you've not looked outside, it's a dark world. In this world, we're, we're sitting in a month right now where we are literally celebrating homosexuality. Homosexuality, brothers and sisters. 
we are celebrating a sinful act committed by people. Sinful people. And and we don't we don't we don't judge the sinner, just the sin, right? But we're celebrating sin. How does this make sense? It doesn't. It doesn't. We are in so need of this world to be illuminated by the light of God, by the light of Christ. We have to do something. We have to go out. We have to evangelize. We have to proclaim the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We cannot just sit around any longer. We have to go out. We have to go forth. As Jesus said to us on the mountaintop when he said, Go forth and baptize the nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's called each and every single one of us to do this, to be a part of that great commission. Each and every single one of us are called to holiness of living, that the world might be illuminated, and that like leaven in the world, we might bring others to the light of Christ. Because, brothers and sisters, the world is making a mockery of God. They've taken a thing which used to represent the promises, and still does, the promises of God. They've taken it. And they've made a mockery of it. How so? Originally the world was destroyed because of sodomy. Because of homosexual sins. Because of adultery. Because of fornication. Because of all of these these grave sexual sins. And yet now we have an organization, a movement of people who's who's hijacked and made a mockery of God's promise, right? As if saying, and this isn't the people, this is the devil. The devil is roaring like a lion seeking someone to devour, brothers and sisters. He is looking to destroy us. He's making a mockery of God and he's mocking God with the things that he's doing right now. That rainbow on a flag is a clear sign of the mockery of God. And some churches want to fall into this mockery. They want to be a part of it because they want to be of the world, not in the world. But we must stand firm, brothers and sisters. We must stand firm in our beliefs and in our understanding of the scriptures as it's been handed down from age to age. We must stand firm in the apostolic teaching as it has been received and as it it has been translated. We can no longer stand by and let this mockery stand, but rather we must tell and say, Brothers and sisters, turn from your sin, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We who are, are, are one in God and who are seeking to love you with the love of God are trying to tell you that if you continue such actions, there will be dire consequences for your soul. And if they will not listen, it's on them. But brothers and sisters, we cannot stand by and say nothing. Because as St. Thomas More has taught us, silence is consent. And we must not consent to sin. We cannot be accomplices to sin any longer, but rather we must stand up and say, this mockery cannot continue. 
And it's not that we hate the people. We love the people. We invite the people to our church. We pray that they would come and join us for worship. That they would live the life that God has called, to, called them to. That they would live true love. Not a love that is, that is a feeling. Not a love that, that they think is, 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 is real love. But rather the true love. The love that never ends. God's love which fills every crevice. It is the love of God that helps the lonely, lonely wife. The lonely husband. It is the love of God that gives the strength to overcome sin to the to the young man and the young woman it is the love of god that helps us to overcome the things of this world those vile temptations that try to drag us down and defeat us it is the love of god that is greater than any love on this earth because it is unconditional but yet conditioned it is unconditional in that God accepts all to come to him. But it is conditional because he cannot tolerate sin. And so God loves you. And I pray that if, if you are or have homosexual tendencies, or if you are struggling with pornography, or if you are struggling with any sin, lying, stealing, etc. Know that God loves you more than your sin. That He loves you more than anything. That He's calling to you. That He's asking you to repent of your sin. To turn away from it. And do not look for the love that the world can give. Because it will only, only leave you empty. But rather look for the love that never ends. It is the love that is the water of eternal life. It is the love, it is the water that flows out of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Let His divine energies penetrate your heart and soften it so that you may be received and that you may truly know the love that never ends. This is the water, this is the love that Christ told the Samaritan woman at the well. He said, I have a water that in which you will never be thirsty again. That water is the true love of God. It is the love of God. And if you truly experience that love, you will never, ever need a love other than that love. That is what the saints teach us. But each and every single one of us are called to a mission. Some are called to married life to procreate and to bring children to this world. Some are called to religious life, in which they live in the monastery. They bring about the working of the kingdom of God through prayer and catechesis and through the helping in the ministry of the bishop. These two states of life help the person come to a greater understanding of their life. And maybe God is not calling you to married life, Maybe God is calling you to that single life, that life of celibacy, that life of religiosity in which you devote your life to the kingdom of God. But brothers and sisters, do not fall into the sin of this world. Be a Christian, which is to be countercultural today. It was not always that case, 
But today it is. With this, that's all I have to say. I hope and pray that you would read some of the saints, maybe some of the saints that I mentioned off here today, that you would read them and that you would seek them, right? And learn from their lives and be inspired by their lives so that you can become a better Christian and a better follower of Christ that you can be a better confessor of Christ, the God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That you can do these things for the praise and glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, God has given us many talents, and we have to ask ourselves, why did He give us these talents, and what does He want us to do with them? And so, brothers and sisters, I leave you with this thought. How can you, based off what God has given to you in your life, the talents that He's given to you in your life, how can you be a better confessor of Christ in your day-to-day living, in the church, right? And in your prayer life. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It truly is at hand. And that's all I have for today, but I would like to also kind of speak a little bit, and I'm going to do a, a quick special edition, right, of of, uh, of, of the of the St. Peter and Paul fast, but we have entered into a fasting period. So uh, for many of you, um, you know, check on check check back for a future podcast on on fasting in the Eastern churches. Uh, it'll be pretty cool. I uh, hope that you'll learn something from it, and um, and yeah, so. We'll just kind of go from there. But uh, thank you so much for listening to to this podcast. Thank you for for your for your patronage. Um, I hope that something that I said today resonated with each and every single one of you. Um, I hope that you will go and you'll pray the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And I pray that you would follow Christ more perfectly, because He truly is the living Son of God. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Slava Jesus Christ.